What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I'm in the house today with a friend of mine who allowed me to come on her podcast and share earlier this week. I think it was this week. Everything goes so fast when you move as fast as I do. I don't know the week, the day. I don't even know what day it is. So, but I'm thankful for you being here. You know, the listeners to my show and the supporters of the What Are You Made Of movement, the rocket fuel thing, the book, the tech products now that we have blueprinted and the 10X incubator. I just appreciate and love all of you. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. And so let's get into today's show and, and meet Diane. Diane's a consultant, trainer, and podcaster. She utilizes her survival instincts from her work as an undercover prostitute to empower business leaders to move through crisis, manage boundaries, and to not second-guess yourself. She is the host of the Live Your Spa Life podcast, which I was on. The Spa in Spa stands for, and Spa Life stands for Seek Power Always, that power within you to do your deeper work in the world. Diane, welcome to the What Are You Made Of podcast. Uh, Mike, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. No, you know, gratitude's all mine. And, you know, we start the show every time with the question, in case you forgot, it's back here. What are you made of, Diane? I am made of grit. And for me, I actually have an acronym around that of the uh, G-R-I-T. And the G is that I get up. No matter what knocks me down, I always get back up. And the R is that I'm ready for anything. Like You just always have to be like open to whatever is possible and what can happen. The I is intuition. I always listen to my intuition, my gut, any whispers from God, I listen to that. And the T is to transform, to also be willing to transform to my next best version of myself. And my favorite definition of grit is indomitable spirit. That's me. I love it, man. Well-prepared, well-versed on what she's made of. (laughs) You know, I started this show too, because I thought the journey to success is often invisible. And I wanted to expose that in a good way for people that have had success in areas and share with the audience because a lot of people can pick up these things from people, even if it's one or two things per podcast. And I have now a library. I haven't released all of them, but 200 probably episodes. And I can go back. My kids can go back. My employees do go back and listen to the podcast. And it's kind of awesome. So I want to you know, provide the audience today with some things that have helped you in your life. But let's go back. Take me back in your life, like where you came from, and what it was like growing up wherever you started. So I grew up in San Diego, California. My family's been here since the 20s. I had that uh, proverbial middle-class you know, family, uh, parents who loved me, had 12 years of Catholic school, had all that good stuff, uh, got married, had two children. And then I made a switch in, I was going to be an attorney and my senior year of getting my degree in criminal justice, uh, decided that that wasn't for me, that that was going to be too boring. That wasn't the life I wanted to live. And so guys I was going to school with were, were going into law enforcement and they're like, hey, take, take the test, see what's going on. Why don't you just you know, check it out? 
So I did, and I placed uh, really high in that. Uh, there weren't very many women in law enforcement at the time. I had no idea what I was getting into and uh, was accepted to, to come into that. And I very quickly went into undercover work, particularly prostitution, because we were hunting a serial killer that was focusing on killing prostitutes. And so uh, during that time, I went from, I was doing patrol where I was answering 911, where there was just craziness, every call that you got, plus then the undercover work where I learned a whole new skills of having to be aware of um, you know, situational awareness, what's happening around me, to be able to really pick out things in a crowd, to be able to trust myself that I could make quick decisions that were life and death decisions, and found that these became transferable skills that later when I retired, that it really helped business leaders to be able to utilize those same skills. Wow. And how long were you a police officer or in law enforcement? Uh, for 10 years. 10 years. Okay. And then, so tell, we got to dive into this. I mean, first of all, what was it like being an undercover prostitute? Like, I'm under, you're not an undercover prostitute. You were an undercover police officer pretending to be a prostitute. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's, I guess there is undercover prostitutes, but I, I've, I worded that wrong. So, right. what was that like? Like, what was the experience? Like, I can't even imagine. Like, yeah. So it, it rocked my world in, in so many different ways. Cause I mean, imagine this, Mike, I went to 12 years of Catholic school. I lived in a nice middle-class neighborhood that had no idea that even weird crime stuff that was happening. And I didn't even know people paid for sex, you know, at the time, like it, it's like, it was such a mind blower for me. And I think that our detectives uh, had a good time trying to school me on, you know, what, what to say, how much to charge, what to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had, uh, you know, a really good uh, female officer that mentioned me in a lot of things, like even stuff like wearing red toe polish. She said, like, you know, all of the fetish guys like red toe polish. I mean, things that I would have never even thought of were things that, that came up in my awareness. And one of the things that were really important is, you know, a lot of times we hear like, you know, why do cops, you know, waste their time? It's a victimless crime. It's, you know, people just having sex, that type of thing. And we actually don't care who's having sex with who. It's really about the element that brings around it. It brings, you know, people who are around on parole, people who are wanted for other things. And when we stop them for prostitution, we can actually put them in a time and place, which then when there are other like robberies or violent crimes or other things that are happening in and around the area, we actually can catch a lot of people associated with that. And a lot of uh, serial killers and gang members and people do a lot of crime to uh, prostitutes. And so it gets tied to a lot of other type things. So it's more of a link uh, to be able to look at how it is that we can help society on a level that people probably never even thought of. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, that's, look, here, here's the thing. So you either have things that you do that help you live in life and prosper in life, or you have things that go against living and living happy and a successful, fulfilling life. And so those things like prostitution, no, like, again, it's on people, whatever they decide to do, but it just tends to be around things that are destructive and prostitution is destructive in a way. I mean, there's no, there's no arguing that. And, and the people that, are, that do it just don't see that because it's not in their reality right now. Right. But at the end of the day, you either go towards something or away from something, build or destroy. And I'm not afraid to talk about that because it's to me, it's just so easy, a binary decision, you know? And so, but I see how that could all relate. 
So going into that though, you know, some actors and actresses, they have to like play this role and you're in a life or death situation when you're doing that. It's not like the actor and actress, which is their profession. And that's what, that's the only thing that can, you know, go bad. Like you have to be an actress, right? I mean, so do you, like, do you go in and emotionally start getting into that role where it's like. I do. Yeah. When I was going to work, I would start playing some like really kind of heavy rapper music. I would change my language. Um, I mean, my language changed a lot once I got on the street. In fact, I remember my dad saying a couple of times, like, you know, I sent you to college and I paid for that mouth. Like, you know, cause you know, you kind of, you slip in and out of roles when you're in it for a long period of time. And so you do, you have to kind of become in this role where you are, are being other than yourself, but yet you also have to be yourself, if that makes sense. Because you also don't want to tip off that, you know, you're a cop, right? I mean, I've had situations where people will be like, oh, are you a cop? And we actually don't have to, when we're undercover, we don't actually have to say we're a cop. So there's a lot of different rules associated with that. And there's a lot of things that happen. It's not just agreeing to sex. It's agreeing sex for money. It's also a furtherance of the crime where they're meeting you. And sometimes, you know, one of the most dangerous places to be is that fatal funnel of walking with this person to like a hotel room or to, you know, a a back alley or something along those lines. So you have to really trust your arrest team that, you know, they're paying attention, that they know what's going on, that it's not just a single person effort. It's a team effort. Do you ever, did you ever get into a car or you're not, you don't do that? That's not, that's not what uh, we can't get into cars with that. We basically, you know, that's where you have to be a fast talker, right? Where you have to be like, you know, Hey, I can't, you know, in case we're being watched, you know, I got, I'll meet you somewhere or something along those right. lines. Like you never want to get into proximity where certain things happen. Uh, you know, one of the things is like, I actually had, a, we had a, uh, an undercover car that I actually used to sit in and write reports in between arrest. And I actually had a detective that was in the driver's seat and I was in the passenger seat. I was actually writing a report and I had some guy that was just standing outside the door. And my detective was like, do you know this guy? I'm like, no, I, I never even talked to him type thing. And so I just, he's like, we'll see what's up. So I like roll down the window and I'm like, you know, hey, sugar, what, what's up type thing? He's like, oh, I'm just waiting to be next. Right. And I'm like, yeah, just hold on a second. I'll be right out. <laughs> but it's like one of those things where it's like, who knew, like who thought that someone would actually be waiting in line for that to happen. And I would arrest like 34 men a night. So it was like as rest as many as possible so that you could put as many people in the place that you were looking for. And things like the Green River killer who killed over 70 women, 20 of them were in San Diego. He was actually caught through prostitution that he was able to be put in a time and place So there are these bigger cases, and we had a lot of copycat cases during the time as well, where they're actually caught through prostitution. And is that the one you guys were working on? That's that serial killer? Yeah. Okay. And were you on there when they got him? Were you on a- No, there was a force. Yeah. So there was a task um, force that was associated with that because his crimes were over the span of, of 10 years. And so that was wrapping up when I came in. So even though we were working under the guise of that case, we were working with more of this, the copycat killers that were happening because all serial killers have trademarks of um, what they do to victims, what they take from victims so that we see the trends that happen with that. And so we start seeing when there are copycats associated with that. And that's what we were working on. Gotcha. And then what, what do they find? Like, what is the reason that they kill prostitutes? 
a lot well, of times. Because a lot of times they're considered the throwaways of society. They don't get reported. A lot of times they're runaways. They don't have um, secure family ties. So they get away with it a lot more. Right. Okay. And then maybe like after they, they do their thing, they feel like so bad about themselves or something. And they just, is that what, like what goes, I don't understand what goes through their mind. One, kill one person, but let alone kill like multiple. Right. I mean, so for instance, Gary Rivers, who was the Green River killer, he actually looked at it as he was purging society. He looked at it as kind of a religious purging. So it was kind of a warped thinking of, because it's like, okay, how is it that you have sex with someone, kill them? And a lot of times he would actually bury them, go back and then unbury them and do other things with them. Oh my um, so there's like a whole nother level of thinking that normal society wouldn't even necessarily think of. And so the thinking isn't you know, very crisp and clear. But what's interesting right. is a lot of times when it comes to serial killers is that, you know, you'll hear on the news like, oh, he was the nicest neighbor, right? And so they live a lot of times this duality of life. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are married and have kids. And so their family has no idea that this is what they're doing at night and things that are, are happening. So there is a psychology that is definitely associated with knowing who you're looking for and being ready for that. And so what is some, uh, you know, you got to have a story to tell of besides the one you said, the guy just walked up, but like, what was one of the dangerous, most dangerous ones that you can remember where you had the fear that, you know, you were scared the most that pops yeah. in your head? Yeah. So this is where you have to really trust your gut when, when you're out there. I actually had two scenarios, one where I was on the corner by myself. And, uh, I mean, literally this felt like it came out of, of a movie of like huggy bear, a Cadillac comes rolling around the corner, two guys in big jackets come out and they're kind of like, you know, positioning themselves on both sides and they open the back door and they, they're starting to like, you know, kind of move me into their car because they like, didn't recognize me as one of their girls. And so they want to either sweep the street of anyone that's not theirs or they make you theirs. And so I had a really quick on his feet detective who jumped out and um, from around the corner and pretended that he was my pimp. And we had this whole discussion where he's like, you know, you got my bitch. This happened. <laughs> and just all this stuff that went down. But it was like a scary moment where it was like, you got to think quick. You got to have a story. You don't want to blow your cover. So you have to really be present to, to what's happening. Um, and then another time too, is because I can wave off. So I have to also trust my, my intuition of who it is that is, is stopping and slowing down. Because a lot of times people will circle the block, you know, you know many times before they, they actually solicit or certain things happen. And this one guy, there was just something about every time he circled around, I had like all like the hairs like on my, my arms and the back of the, my neck up. Like there was just something up more. And, you know, you kind of play a little bit of mind games where you're like, okay, you're supposed to be stopping these people. So what's the big deal? But yet you also need to listen to your intuition where there's like a level of danger or something that triggers that you have to listen to. And so I, when he came around and he was getting ready to stop, I actually did a, a signal to my team that I wasn't going to stop him and that he, they needed to stop him like a couple blocks away so that one, it wouldn't blow my cover and it would be like an independent like traffic stop. And it came to find out when they stopped him that he had a gun underneath the uh, underneath his seat, and he was uh, a 1035 suspect, which is a wanted felon for a dangerous crime. So you know, there's 
there's a lot of things where you just have to go with those hits. You have to go with that. I mean, he, he got stopped. It didn't necessarily have to be by me. And in that situation that would have put me in even more danger. So you have to listen to those things. And, you know, those are the kind of things I talk about with my clients is like, what are you not listening to? Like what's right in front of your face and you know, something wrong Mm -hmm. or not right up and you're not able to pull the trigger on making a decision or you're second guessing yourself or some of these things that are happening. You know, when you have these things that come up within you, you got to listen to it, right? Because that's, that's your knowing, right? There's knowledge and there's knowing and knowing is going to save you. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Love it. Well, thank you for sharing that stuff with me because I know, and it probably wasn't, I don't know if it's something that still bothers you or there's any any kind of post-traumatic at all. So I appreciate you sharing that. So what are some of the lessons specifically that you've learned that go into business? I know you just talked about intuition and knowing, but like, what are some other things that you focus on in your in your work? Well, for me, you know, it really, it comes down to not second guessing yourself. I think that is one of the, the biggest, uh, you know, lessons and things that I can share uh, with leaders. You know, I've had, especially, I think it happens a lot with, with female leaders where they'll be, you know, they'll like be 90% on, on what they want to share, but because they'll second guess themselves, they don't necessarily do that. Whereas a lot of times male leaders will be at like 50% and they'll share it and get it out there. So there can be a disconnect with that. That's not always the case and it's not from a stereotypical place, but it's just, it's some of the, the things that are, are inbred uh, in just in people and how they're, they're grown up on whether they are people that were encouraged to speak up or they were to wait their turn, right? Or, you know, what, what were some of those things in there? And so when you actually extend yourself, and I think that's what I learned the most in taking away from, from my police work, because there's nothing like walking down an alley by yourself at two in the morning to tune you up, right? To be really aware of what's happening around you and to be ultra present. And when you're ultra present, you can then notice things that other people don't notice. And when you trust yourself and you make those decisions and you build upon the correctness of those decisions, even if it's not correct, but you learn something from it, you build your confidence around that. And then you have more courage to take more risk and to extend yourself out there even more. So let me like fill us in on a success story you've had with someone. You know, after you got out of law enforcement, you started working in this, like what, what is something that like, just like a specific incident that you had with someone, you don't have to bring names up obviously, but something that was a, like a successful, somebody got it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I had a, well, actually I still do. She's still a, a current client. She has a multi-million dollar company, has you know quite a few employees, and she was going through a transition in her business where it felt like everybody was questioning everything that she was doing. And you know, it come to find out that she was too involved in the weeds of the business and wasn't being the visionary. And so they didn't have that uh, confidence that they were looking up to her that she was confident in the decision she was making. They felt her hesitation. So her hesitation was rippling through the company that other people were either questioning her or not making the decisions that, that they were making. So one of the things that we did is my team came in and we did some training with them 
in getting really clear on the roles of people in the business. You know, who are the visionaries? Who are, you know, looking at the overall of the company? And then who are our implementers and who are the ones doing the things that are the day-to-day and what is the communication? And I found that one of the biggest things is lack of communication. Either one of the, one of the issues that, that my client was having was to make tough decisions. And she wanted to be liked by the company. And so she didn't want to be making those unpopular decisions. But by not making those decisions, it undermined her authority. And so communication is probably the number one thing I find that happens within companies is they're either not clearly communicating, they're not communicating to the right people, they're not fully telling the story, they're just kind of telling the surface type things. And so they're not diving into what the actual issues are. And so when you get really clear on what your company stands for and who you are and who your role is, then you have to get really clear that you communicate in a way that your team can hear, your clients can hear, and that you get it why it is that you're doing what you're doing. Because when you get clear in that, you can make those tougher decisions much easier with more clarity in your communication. Love it, man. That's exactly what I was looking for. So, you know, my businesses in the past, when I realized like this is stuff that I have to do, I have a list of things. Okay. We got to do these, uh, these things. Now, my business, we used to hit the ground running and grind, right? We didn't have systems and process. Well, we did, but they weren't clearly defined. And we made money. We made, but eventually you hit a ceiling, you hit a break point, you crumble because your foundation's not there, which is your systems and processes and, and your clearly defined roles. And when I did decided that we like, whoa, we got to get this done. There was, so much, so much pushback. And, but I'm so committed when I figure something out that it's like, okay, we got to get this done. And if people don't understand this after I explain it to them, they got to go. And I'm better off starting with people that buy into this al- and, and align with this mission and the, the systems and processes that we put in. And uh, I dealt with this. And, you know, your authority is important. When people respect you, it's important. And, but you got to earn it. And you have to make sure that you focus on getting that. More importantly, put a priority on that rather than being liked. Like I don't give a shit if people like me. I'm t- I'm trying to take us take us to this end destination, and you're gonna like me when we get there. <laughs> so right, Mike. yeah, yeah. So tell us about the spa life. I mean, I know you have the, the podcast, but you know, and I and I explained in the intro what spa life is all about. But just give us a little you know background on that and what you're trying to do and what your vision is for it. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, my my last case with the department was a pretty high level case. It was a kidnapping murder case of a seven-year-old girl named Danielle Van Dam. And I'll never forget the day she was taken. It was 020202. And that was a really, you know, it was a pivotal moment uh, because it was the first time I actually knew the victim. I played softball with her mom. They only lived like a mile away from our home. And, you know, it's really different when you're, you do police work and you think a lot of times of, you know, things happening out there. But when it comes close to home, my daughters were pretty young at the time. It really shook up our neighborhood. And I was actually retiring from the department at the time. And I became the liaison between the police department and the family to help locate her body, which we did. And the neighbor was actually arrested and convicted um, in that case. And so you can only imagine the level of stress and anxiety and just angst that happened over the period of that year. And at the end of that, once he was convicted, there was someone who had donated for the mother, myself, and um, another woman 
to go to a place in uh, Tucson, Arizona called Canyon Ranch, which is the first time I'd ever been to a place like this. It was a spa restorative type place. And at that time, each day we would do things like, yeah, we had massage, but we would be out in nature. There was art on the property. We had good food. You know, we had all kinds of things that really nourished our, our mind, body, and soul. And it was in the evenings when there was like this clarity after you got some good sleep and you started actually feeling, you know, more human again, that we would start having conversations. And the mom was like, I can't have my daughter's death be for nothing. And there has to be some significance that comes out of this. And that they started laying down the conversations for Amber's law, for being able to alert uh, the police about when children were taken so that there would be a faster response and faster things that were happening. So those laws being in effect have really changed the way of being able to recover uh, children who've been taken on a, on a much faster way. And I remember when I came away from that retreat place and I was talking to one of my mentors and he said, if you could do anything in the world, you know, time, money, not an issue, what would you be doing? And I said, I'd be living this spa life. And at the time, I didn't really understand the depth of that, but it was more than just having a massage. It was more about, you know, living a life where you took care of all the different aspects of yourself so that you could have the clarity to actually live the life that you wanted to have, that you could do the things that you wanted to do. And then that evolved into the SPA of it, of seek power always. And that became into that trusting yourself. And one of the things, one of the biggest things that I share with a lot of my clients is that there's so much noise out there. There's so many things that can distract you from your purpose, from your day-to-day, from everything. And that power doesn't happen outside of you. It's not that thing out there. You are your own power. It's within you. It's that intuition. It's that knowing. It's being that leader. It's standing up and being that light that you need to be. So for me, spa life, you know, I talk about it as being a lifestyle. It's, it's accomplishment. It's harmony. It's the way you choose to live. Love it, man. I love it. And you had a website that had to do with crisis. You want to talk about that as we wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to my website, which is dianehaffman.com forward slash crisis. And that shows you different ways on how to avoid crisis. There's so many different levels of crisis and people have different relationships of what actually triggers them as a crisis. But the quicker you can identify that, the more you can see what's going on, the more you can move through those things. And when you move through crisis, you can actually build your confidence and your courage to then do hard things. Love it. Love it. Diane, I want to thank you for coming on today's show and thank you for having me on your show as well. It was great to see you two times in one week. And guys, just go check Diane out, dianehalfman.com forward slash crisis. Go check her out. Go support her. Go let her know that you saw her or heard her here. And Diane, what's your, uh, what's your like Instagram? Or... Uh, just my name, Diane okay. Hoffman. It's uh, Diane Hoffman. Diane okay. with one N, so D-I-A-N-E. And the Hoffman is just like Hoffman, H-A-L-F-M-A-N. All right, guys, go follow Diane and let her know, like I said, you saw her here on the What Are You Made Of podcast. Thank you so much, Diane, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you all. Keep coming back. Keep going after things. Go after your ideal life. Don't let anything stop you. Be unstoppable. I'm your boy, C-Rock. I'm telling you, be unstoppable. Until next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. 
Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.